in um, in our study in Exodus, we'll be finishing Exodus 10. Now, what we're going to see, I believe, over the next coming weeks and months is much like Sam has done where we've spent more time, a disproportionate amount of time at the beginning of the book of Genesis, and we get to a point where we're kind of ticking off chapters or stories. Uh, we'll be doing that probably a little bit more. But <clears throat> when you have the cycle of the plagues uh, and the cycle of setting those things up, it's really important to spend the time that we need on them. Today we'll be looking... Um, at the concept of victory in seeing or victory in sight, either way, it's okay. Um, victory in seeing or victory in sight. Now, it's not like uh, victory is in sight. That's a little different. This is victory in seeing or, or perceiving spiritually. Pick it up in Exodus chapter 10, starting in verse 16. And it says, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and, and, uh, and Aaron well, maybe. Then uh, Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I, Can you still see? Uh, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive, I pray thee, my sin only this once, and entreat the Lord, for your, uh, entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. And he went, so Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's talking, and he went out from uh, Moses, went out from Pharaoh, and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a mighty strong west wind and took away the, the locusts, the last plague, and, or the previous plague, and cast them into the Red Sea. And there remained not one locust in all the coasts of Egypt. So it'd be quite a sight to see it go from lo, locust covered to not. Like, God is clearly moving here. There's no, you cannot deny it. Continuing in verse 20. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Again, that means he allows Pharaoh's heart to be hardened, is another way of saying it, so that he would not let the children of Israel go. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, this ninth plague, even darkness which may be felt. Wow, chilling words. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. So, in our kind of ongoing uh, graph here, we see that we get to this ninth plague, and it's this plague of darkness. Now, the plague of darkness is interesting. There is, I think I mentioned this last time, you can align each of the plagues to the gods of Egypt. In this case, the plague uh, of darkness aligns with, the, uh, with Ra, the sun god. And it's, it's interesting because the sun is not shining in the camp of Israel, but they have light. Okay, And obviously there's uh, spiritual implications there. But the sun is blocked out. And it's a darkness that can be felt. And the only thing I can, I could probably help us wrap our brain around it. There's, there's been twice in my life where I have, I have um, encountered darkness that I felt like could be felt. <laughs> uh, one of them was in a cave. 
I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity to go on a uh, a tour. Some caves, especially in Missouri, they have you know tours. Some you can ride through. Some you can walk through. They have paths, those sorts of things. And obviously, you have to take your your own lights in. And I guess some of them have lights in there. But generally speaking, you're carrying flashlights and you know lantern type things. And almost always, at least every time I've been through it, you get to some point in the cave, then you know where it's a safe place. Maybe they have people sit down. Um, especially people that might have a you know, component of dizzy, and everybody shuts off their light. And it's dark. It's real dark. It's like cannot see your hand in front of your face dark. Like it's not just like outside no full moon dark. It's there is no light penetrating your eyeballs. You have lost that complete sense and that's a light, that's a, a dark that can be felt. Now, I don't know how else to communicate it. The only other thing that I, that I read is that a dark that could be felt is that it was kind of like a heavy fog. That it was such a heavy fog, right? So we, we experienced, maybe a couple weeks ago, we, it seemed like we went through a few days where there was a lot of fog. But even then, it's still kind of light outside. It's just foggy. It's, you feel like you're in a cloud, right? You can see maybe past your car or you can see part way into your yard or you can see the people on the other side of the intersection but <clears throat> you can't really see much beyond that it's just there's too many droplets of water in that case between your eyes and other things that are in a distance right but this was a darkness that could be felt and i don't know if you've had if you've ever had blind friends or people that you have ministered to uh, that are blind, but it does take a special perception, um, a special uh, mindfulness when ministering to blind folks. I remember there was a, a blind man that was visiting here uh, on uh, on one Sunday, and uh, might have been a Tuesday night. I can't remember. And as 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 people are wont to do from time to time, he needed to go to the restroom, and so he had never been in our restroom. He was not familiar with the surroundings he was in, right? And so I saw that he was blind. I've worked with enough blind people in ministry and through my job that I at least muddled my way through helping him in the bathroom. Um, you know, okay, and you, you take two steps forward, then you can turn to your left, and you can take about seven steps forward, and you're going to be at one of the urinals if that will work. Otherwise, we can get you into a stall. And he's like, no, that'll be fine. Now, this individual happened to be, some of the guys in this room will know where I'm going with this, but one of the urinals in the bathroom, the one where you, if you walk in and you go straight to the left, has, because it's under the stairs, it has an outcropping, for lack of better terms, of the, the ceiling, right? It's, it's lower there than the other part. So he's walking, and I'm kind of fixated on him not walking into the back of another individual and, you know, kind of getting aligned, if you will. I'm trying not to be too, you know, too graphic, but I'm, I'm kind of, and at the very last second, I'm like, stop, because he's like this far away from hitting his head on that, uh, on that outcropping. Because it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's low. I mean, you got to be careful. I don't. I fit under the outcropping <laughs> just fine. Um, but it takes a little bit of a special perception to help someone who doesn't have 
percept doesn't have sight, doesn't have this case one of their significant senses. And what we're and you say, Mitch, that feels like you're going far afield a little bit, but this is really important because what Moses is doing in this interaction with Pharaoh is he's dealing with a blind man in Pharaoh. He's just dealing with a blind man spiritually. He's not dealing with a blind man physically, but he's dealing with a blind man spiritually. And I think we have some, we can learn some lessons from that. So the situation is a lack of light is a lost man's primary problem. Okay. Now the light exists. I remember Michelle telling our boys that when it's cloudy, I'm probably going to mess this up. When it's cloudy, the sun has not stopped shining. They were little. It's just that clouds are between us and the sun. And that you can get on a plane and you can rise above those clouds. And you can be in the sun exactly where you are now, just higher. You can rise above the clouds of, of your life. And so a lack of light is a last man, lost man's primary problem. And it's not because the light's not shining. It's because they're not perceiving the light. And so just, just hang with me for, for the illustration. So we know Jesus is the light. In John chapter 1, 4 to 5, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and notice, the darkness comprehended it not. This is not meant to be a political statement, but our president misquoted this a few weeks ago and referenced people who, family members of people of gun violence, that they were the light that Jesus was referring to. And, well, Mr. President, with all due respect, you got it wrong. Jesus is the light. There is no substitute for that. I'm not taking any way, anything away from the loss of, of life or loss of a loved one, but they are not the light. You, in fact, are darkness and don't comprehend it, or at least it seems like it, based on your statement. The light shines in darkness, and darkness doesn't get it. It's not that the light just overcomes it. The darkness doesn't understand it. And these are very specific words. This is not a physical light that's overcoming a, a physical darkness, because the darkness doesn't have to comprehend the light. It's just overcome by light. That spiritually, spiritual darkness can only be overcome by spiritual light when the darkness allows it to be, when it comprehends it. And Christians reflect his light. Yes, you can enter the, uh, the old adage about the moon does not shine, the moon reflects the light of the sun. Just like it's a, a dead rock, a little rock reflecting the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew 5:16, let your light so shine before men, <clears throat> the reflection of Christ's light, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's laid out, I think, beautifully in Matthew chapter 5 because Jesus is basically saying, your good works will cause them to glorify God. They won't your good works will not cause them to glorify you. They will know you're doing your good works because of the Father, because of the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christians reflect his light. Now we're going to get a little bit, I don't know, biological for just a second. <clears throat> An evil eye doesn't let in the light. It doesn't let in the light. Notice in Matthew chapter 6, 22 to 23, the light of the body is the eye. 
The light of the body is the eye. Another, put another way, the body perceives light. Light matters to the body because of the eye. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye be single and does its job, sees the light, thy whole body shall be full of light. So, <clears throat> when there is light, if my eyes are working, my whole body is full of light, meaning I can interact with my surroundings, my hand can reach for my Bible, reach for my coffee cup, my mouth can communicate the right direction, not this direction, right? I mean, like, my whole body is full of light because my eye is doing its job. Okay? You with me? But if thine eye be evil, not functioning, not able to receive light, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? I mean, I hope you can just see by the words Jesus is choosing, this is not a biological exposition on how the eye works. This is a very spiritual description of if your eye is not set and you cannot perceive spiritually what Jesus is saying there or what the Word of God says, your body is going to be full of darkness. You arguably could apply it to the, to the church body as well, but you individually, your body will be full of darkness. <clears throat> and how great is that darkness? So, I don't think this will gross anybody out. It's just a diagram. But this is a diagram of an eye. I know it's accurate because I googled it. <laughs> and all the pictures kind of look like this, so it must be right. You have light that is generated or is reflected in some cases, right, off of another item. So right now, there's light being generated by this TV that's helping you see these functions, right? You're seeing your Bible or the paper in front of you because the light above us is bouncing off and then back up to your eye, right? So light comes into your eye. It comes through your lens and is focused. It, it gets inverted. I, like, I don't understand it. I don't need to understand it. The image gets inverted and flip-flopped. Okay, just, just run with it. It hits the back of your eye where your retina is, and it causes some things to happen. So, <clears throat> I should have read this. First, light rays enter the eye through the cornea, the clear front window of the eye. The dome-shaped cornea bends the light to help the eye focus. From the cornea, the light passes through an opening called the pupil, the dark part of our eye because it's dark inside of there. The amount of light passing through is controlled by the iris, or the colored part of your eye. Next, the light passes through the lens inside of your eye, the transparent structure, and the lens works with the cornea to focus the, the light correctly to the retina. So that's literally how you can, irrespective of, of glasses, I, you know, a lot of us in here probably have 
the need for reading glasses different from distance or maybe a bifocal situation. But it's literally how you can go from looking here and look, I can look up at Brian and all of a sudden Brian becomes into focus. Like Brian comes in even though he has distance. Or I can look at this and I can look up and I can see somebody two blocks away walking across the street or what have you. Right? Because there's movements, muscular driven movements in my eye to focus. My brain is processing that information very quickly and focusing the, the, the lens and the cornea. But finally, when light hits the retina, the innermost or back part, special cells called photoreceptors turn the light into electrical signals. It's interesting that you may have remember, maybe remember, I don't know, this feels like seventh grade biology. I don't know. Do I have it about right? No? Younger? Am I in the ballpark at least? Yeah. Some people are like, I don't know. I slept through the seventh grade. <laughs> um, or that's been... Or it's been a long time ago. I've, since, since the, I've slept since the seventh grade, right? <laughs> But there's rods and cones, and I never can remember which one does the color and which one does the black and white. But if you've ever had to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and I'm not sure why so much going to the bathroom is in this message, but it is. If you've ever had to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, everything looks grayscale. It's because, I think it's the cones, I can't remember. One of the two of them are working. The one that sees better in the dark is primarily black and white and you actually have that you have that skill kind of like a wolf or a dog or a cat like you have the ability to see at night you have different parts of your eyes that are designed so like you could literally walk into your bathroom and a red towel under the low amount of light having just woke up looks gray because your eye or some version of gray because your eyes are primarily firing on the one set of, of cells rather than the other when you turn on the light oh that's hard now your body shifts to the other cells and the other the the color driven retinal cells oh i can see that's red but what happens you lose the ability to sharp focus for a bit until your eyes settle to the new level of light. So there you go. You are all eye doctors. <clears throat> From there, it goes in the optic nerve. Because those, those fire, those electrical firing, the light impacts those cells. When it does, it creates an electrochemical reaction that sends that signal to, the, to our brain. It's happening all the time right now. And just because we can describe it doesn't take the, the, the wonder out of it at all. Like, I, I, I think I've shared this before. When I, was, I, had, to, I had to do gross anatomy in, in school uh, for, for my career, and one of the physician, this medical students who was a few years ahead of us uh, was helping me with our cadaver lab. And he was describing, he's like, so you can see how when we evolved, how this went from this to this. And I'm like, I'm like bro, seriously? Like, are we looking at the same thing? There is no way we evolved. Like, zero chance we evolved. The complexity in just the eye yes. is mathmat makes it mathematically impossible. Like, like it's just insane. I, they are just completely blinded, but I'm getting far afield. <laughs> this sends a chemical or an electrochemical reaction to our brain. Michelle's looking at her glasses like, whoa. Um, oh, they're dirty? Okay. Well, that's a great illustration because, well, just hold that thought, because 
things that get in the way of our eyes affect our sight. So this goes to our brain and our brain processes it. Even though the image came in upside down and backwards, our brain can process it in so you all don't look like you're sitting on your head. Okay? It's super cool. Super cool. But there are things that can happen to stop this from occurring. Maybe it's a neuromuscular disease that limits the conductivity of the nerve signals to the brain and someone can have a stroke or an eye, there's something called an eye stroke. They can actually lose the ability to transmit the signal. You could have some sort of macular degeneration. So the area that receives the retina can be detached, right? There can be a problem with those cells that receive the light. You could have a cataract, which gets cloudy, a cloudy lens that stops or impacts the amount of light that comes through. You could have some sort of physical damage to the outside the cornea of the eye. If everything doesn't line up, <clears throat> any one of those things can stop the light from impacting the brain. It's amazing. And Pharaoh is in this spot. Pharaoh is seeing with his spiritual darkness not with his spiritual light. It's interesting because even blindness is correlated to salvation. And I'm using, I, I use that word specifically correlated in particular because people that were healed by Jesus weren't necessarily saved. But the Greek word often of healing or being made whole is the same word that Paul uses when he talks about salvation. Okay, being made whole in our spirit. Okay, there's a corollary. There's a picture in people's becoming or gaining their sight as a corollary to the salvation. Notice in Matthew 11, the blind receive their their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto the, uh, preached to them. Literally. That's a different aspect of all of our spiritual needs being summarized in what Jesus is doing physically in healing them, right? They have their ability to see spiritually. They have the ability to go in their walk. The leper, leprosy is a picture of sin is, is cleansed, right? The deaf can hear. They can hear the word of God, right? The dead are raised up into new life. Like, do you see the parallel? Like, it's a correlation, in the lost man and what Jesus did in Matthew 12, then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil and blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. So he does it not just for that person, but to send a picture, this correlation of salvation. And in Matthew 15, great multitudes came unto him, having them uh, uh, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, which sounds a little harsh. If it's like, come here, bam, because um, they're bringing these people with them, right? It's probably like if you're taking somebody to the doctor, don't cast them at the doctor's feet. I'm just like, it sounds a little harsh, but they cast them down at Jesus' feet and he healed them. So the, Jesus is in the business of taking those who are spiritually dark, 
spiritually blind, have spiritual darkness in their life, spiritually blind, and healing from that. So victory principle number one, and yes, I know we only have 10 to 15 minutes left, and I'm only on victory principle number one. Reflect, keep reflecting the light, no matter how dark it is around you. Just keep reflecting the light. Because you never know when your flashlight of light is going to hit somebody's spiritual eyes. Bam. And they'll see. And they'll see. That's our job. So it brings us to our struggle. Pharaoh called unto Moses in Exodus 10, 24 through 26 and, says, and said, Go ye, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be stayed. So here we go again. You can leave, but you can't take everything with you. Let your little ones also go with you. And Moses said, Thou must give us also sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Our cattle also shall go with us. We've talked about this a few weeks ago, back last year. There shall not an hoof be left behind. Not a one. We're taking all of our animals with us. It's not just cows, but it's the cattle. It's all livestock, if you will. For thereof we must take to serve the Lord our God, and know this, or notice this, and we know not with what we must serve the Lord until we come thither. Moses is literally saying, we've got to take everything we own, which probably isn't much, being slaves in Egypt. We've got to take everything we own because we don't know exactly what the Lord's going to call, call us to do. Now, it's interesting because, I think it's on your note, Pharaoh is still negotiating terms of a deal he can't win. <laughs> he's still like, well, a couple, you know, we saw, well, leave the women behind. No, we're all going. Okay, this time he's like, all right, what about leave your, your take your kids, but leave the herds. No, no, we're, 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 we're taking those with us. Okay? And as we've seen before, the world will continue to try to get you to give ground. Don't. Don't give ground. Oh, oh, so you want to be discipled. That's cool. But I, we're still playing, and I'm, I'm not, I don't know if you guys play poker, but we're still playing pro- poker on Friday nights. Just come on over. We're just going to keep playing poker. You and your buddies, you, don't ha- you can keep following. You can, bro, I am so thrilled that you're going to follow the Lord. Man, that's cool. But, but we're still buddies, right? I mean, we're still going to hang out. And then, you know, you know what we do on poker nights. I mean, we put on a movie that, you know, might be a little, a little showy and hang around. We drink until we can't remember what's going on. I mean, I mean, those things, those things can peacefully coexist, can't they? And the next thing you know, the world is trying to negotiate not, you not giving up all of yourself to the Lord, right? Trying to hang on to whatever. Maybe fill in the blank. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what it is for each of us. It's probably a little different. I use the poker drinking movie analogy because honestly, I don't struggle with those. So it's easy for me to use those as an illustration. But the world will constantly, is constant. The devil is really good about this. He is willing to give up the ground. He has to give up. He just wants to hold on to something in your life. He wants to hold something over your head and say, see, you're not completely sold out. And Moses just doesn't have it. And Moses is preparing for anything the Lord might call the children of Israel to do. Now, <clears throat> I say this, and I, I really don't say this to pat myself on the back. Please do not hear, hear it that way. Like, my shoulder's been hurting. I can't even get there. Okay, that's about as good as I can do, patting myself on the back. 
when I was 21 or 22, I committed to taking a course of study called Shepherd School that you may have heard, which is similar to our LFBI. People around me, my friends, were doing so because they wanted to be pastors or missionaries. There was discussion about them and where they would go start churches or what ministries they might take over when they were done with Shepherd School. And I had, on more than one, one occasion, people asked me why I was taking Shepherd School and what I was going to do with that when I was done. And I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew I was taking Shepherd School because I wanted to be ready if the Lord called me to ministry. I wanted to be ready. I didn't want to be in a position where the Lord called me and then I said, oh, oh, you were serious? Like my cousin Vinny, you were serious about that? And now I've got to go, like, i got to spend four years getting ready? Like, it was only my reasonable service to take a class, to take a series of classes, take classwork, just for the chance that someday he might call me to, to ministry. Oh, and that only happened 30 years later? At least from a pastoral position? Moses is prepared for anything that the Lord called him to do. Notice in Proverbs 30, uh, 3 verse 9, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Right? We use that with you know, tithing, etc. But notice the first part. Honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruits of all thine increase. Literally, it's all on the table. It all needs to be on the table. Hebrews 11.8, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and went out, not knowing whether he went. Literally, God tells him, in, in much more eloquent and, and biblical and, and right terms, you'll know when you get there. Are you prepared? Like, I literally was having a discussion with the pastor, and let me just be very clear. I'm Evidently, I'm leading the trip to Toronto again this year. That was news to me at one point. Um, I I don't know that the Lord's calling the Dobsons to move to Toronto. Like, I don't want you to think in the back of your head that, like, the Dobsons are preparing to go to Toronto. Like, but I can't take it off the table. Because I'm not about to tell the Lord no. I don't know. I would be very content coming in here week in, week out, teaching you, developing you, seeing some of you go be part of church plants. I would be okay with that. But I got to be okay with him calling for something else. I just, I have to be. So it brings us to our victory principle number two. Be a good steward of that which the Lord has entrusted you. And this is not just your money. This is your time. It's your commitment. It's your resources. And by resources, I mean how you manage your stuff. Your, your stuff in life. Your issues of life. Like, you need to be a good steward. Steward of all of that. And because I've mismanaged my time, we have to spend some time on the victory. In Exodus 10, 29-27, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let him go. them go. And Pharaoh said unto him... <clears throat> I don't think Pharaoh understood what he was saying here. Get thee from me. Take heed to thyself. See my face no more. It's interesting that he actually, and that's part of the the theme today, because he's like, 
I don't want to see you. For in the day <coughs> that thou seest my face, thou shalt die. I see you again, buddy. I'm killing you. And Moses said, Thou hast well spoken. I will see thy face again no more. Now, quick sidebar. <clears throat> Moses and Pharaoh never have another interaction. You say, wait a second. We've got a whole other plague to get through. And they never have another direct interaction. There is a reference when the, the firstborn dies and Pharaoh wakes up and sees that the firstborn is dead that he calls for Moses and Aaron. But it's almost like he's sending a message. There's no... No indication that they see each other face to face. And after the children of Israel leave, there's always something between Moses and Pharaoh. This is their last interaction. Some have said that when Moses said, Thou hast well spoken, I will see thy face again no more, that that one interaction is in fact the fact that Moses, or that Pharaoh is a changed man because of the death of his firstborn. But I personally don't see in scripture anything that points to a personal interaction so a couple points here there's no more sight of the man of god pharaoh is done with moses like done with him in his presence he's like but by stating that and this is really hard this is a this is a hard thing in scripture Arguably harder than when Jesus says, if you want to be part of me, you need to eat my uh, flesh and drink my blood. That was so hard for people. By stating that Moses would die if he showed his face again, Pharaoh dooms his people to no warning about the last plague. There is no indication in Scripture that the children of Israel told the Egyptians what would happen. Because when we move into the, the last plague, Moses is saying to the children of Israel, kill the lamb, spread the blood, and you'll be taken care of. There's no warning to, to, to Pharaoh. Not one I found. Moses, in adhering, and I don't think he was fearful of Pharaoh. He was just doing what Pharaoh said. Out of my face, I never want to see you again. Okay, then you're going to miss out on the warning. And there will be times in your life where you've ministered to people and they may be nicer than I just pointed my finger and said, I never want to see you again. They kind of fade away. They don't want to be friends anymore. They don't want to hear you to preach. Stop preaching to me. Stop telling me about Jesus. Stop telling me about your new life in Christ. I'm fine. There's going to come a point where they, don't, they no longer get a warning. And that's a hard thing. The Egyptians no longer had a warning that, a, that, that the worst plague was coming. I was sharing some of this with Sam this morning. and He's like, could you imagine if you woke up one day and like most of the people in the United States, all their firstborns were dead? Like, could you imagine the news? Could you imagine the... The people just like, like literally right now, there would be people screaming down the streets, just distraught with so much death, so much loss, not only of their own kids, but their nephews, their nieces, right? If there's a son, that only, you know, in our little example, if it's only their nephews, their brothers, like their uncle, like 
literally, there's a lot of people dying. It's, it's going to change the trajectory of Egypt. And Pharaoh is done with Moses, and by doing that, he has set his, his people on a course. Notice in Second Chronicles 36, But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words, misused his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, till there was no remedy. Pharaoh and the people of Egypt have seen miracle after miracle after miracle in the form of a plague, but it's still a miracle nonetheless, and they've refused to come to God on the right terms. They've remained blind. 1 Thessalonians 4.8 He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given us his Holy Spirit. That's the point at which people have given up. <clears throat> so, this sentence is going to shorten. So it goes from no more sight of God, uh, of the man of God, to no more sight of God. Proverbs 1, 24 through 30 says, Because I have called, ye have refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have said it not all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I will, in hard words, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then they shall call on me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge, the knowledge of what to do, and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel, they despised all of my reproof. They just weren't down with what God had to say until judgment came. So they went from not having a sight of the man of God to now they won't have a sight of God. And at some point, they just won't have any more sight. In Proverbs 6.15, Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. I am not totally dogmatic about this statement. Matter of fact, I'm pretty far from dogmatic about the statement. There is at least some scriptural reasons to believe what I'm getting ready to say is not accurate. So I'm just going to put a huge caveat out there. But there is at least some reason to believe that hell, there's also some biblical support of this, that hell, the lake of fire, is also infinite blackness. Well, at least I'm going to be there with my friends. You won't see them. You only interact with them. I, I'm not sure which would be worse. Burning or never interacting with another soul for the rest of eternity. <laughs> never seeing anyone. Just, I mean, that's hard. So victory principle number three. Keep your eyes on the Lord. That's where your light comes from. Keep your eyes on the Lord. And, and I guess I, I kind of vacillated a little bit about victory principle number four or attacking on to, to victory principle number three. <clears throat> You've got to keep at telling people to keep their eyes on the Lord. Don't give up. Heed his call. Heed his warning. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, and we'll close with this. In the hall of faith, so I think, if I'm not mistaken, I went through Hebrews chapter 11 when we first started this class 
um, went verse by verse through the Hall of Faith and looked at the characters in each of those. Um, and this was interesting because I think when I taught on Moses, there's a couple of verses that talks before about him kind of basically being a kid and he doesn't, um, you know, doesn't uh, follow Egypt and then the, the, the benefits of that. But this in verse 27, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my brain around it. He says, by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And when I studied this word forsook, it's actually to leave behind, one, one, one application of it, one translation, if you will, is to leave behind that which is dying. And I've kind of wonder, I've kind of come to a soft conclusion that this is not referencing that Moses left Egypt behind in going to the wilderness, or that he didn't leave Egypt behind in going into the promised land that he literally set, came to a point at some point in his ministry to Pharaoh and said, they've made their choice. I'm leaving them behind. I have to move forward in my walk. And I don't like de delivering these kind of messages. They're very hard for me. But there will be people that we interact with. There will people, be people that come into this class who choose not to follow the Lord. And it stinks. And I want it for them so bad, but I can't want it for them. They've got to want it themselves. And they may, ne they may choose to never darken the door of this class again or this church. They may or may not ever restore a relationship with the Lord. And that stinks. I would so very much like to grab them and shake them and say, What are you doing? You're making the wrong decision, but I can't. I just have to love them. I have to pray for them. And at some point... I have to forsake them for the benefit of those that are moving forward. Moses had to leave the Egyptians behind. No matter how much he loved them, no matter how much he wanted them to, to be right in the relationship with the Lord, at some point he's, he had to move forward. So if there's somebody that's holding you back, at some point the Lord's going to deal with them. Like, you don't get to make that decision. Like the door should always remain open, should always be ready to reconcile, always be ready to minister to someone. But if my dear friends, the Perkins, just decide that they're not going to serve the Lord anymore, and I can't convince them of that, I can't convince them that it's a mistake, I can't live in that sorrow. I have to press forward because it's not fair to the rest of you. It's not fair to... I mean. I mean, it's been, it's been a good run, but bye. It's kind of a weird way of kicking them out of class, isn't it? Like, no, I don't kick. I'm not, I'm not kicking. No, no, no. It's it completely, it, yeah. Be in church, yeah. But at some point, we have to move forward. We have to. And that's a hard thing. And it's a hard thing for this, this growing minister to learn, is that there's going to be times when people just say, I'm not on board with that. But if I'm going to keep doing... Like, if Moses had stayed in Egypt <laughs> because the Egyptians wanted uh, just one more warning, one more warning, one more warning, maybe if I just packaged it this way, one... No, how many plagues have they seen? How many times has God given them the opportunity? Moses finally had to say, we're moving on. We're moving on. 
And if you want to put the blood on the doorpost, put the blood on the doorpost. I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to do in the next few chapters of Exodus. Please do, do not hear from me that you can despise your weaker brother or sister in the Lord. That people that are not willing, like we will stay a place where people can come and people can restore their relationship. Do not hear from me that we are just going to just flush people down the, the spiritual toilet. Okay, That's not how we work here. But we're also not going to stand pat waiting for them if time after time after time, miracle after miracle after miracle, and they're not willing to move forward in their faith. I'm sorry, we've got to move forward. Okay? Sorry to deliver a heavy message. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the fact that you gave Pharaoh and the Egyptians so many options, so many chances to hear your truth. And at some point, they just chose the darkness in their heart over the light that was in front of them. And Lord, this plague, uh, the beautiful picture of it. There was a darkness that could be felt everywhere, but in the camp of the children of Israel. Thank you for being our light. Thank you for lighting us, showing our, our, giving us light for our path, giving us light to understand, giving us light to perceive. And thank you, Lord, for being very patient with us I know the time I accepted the gospel was not my first time hearing it. So, Lord, thank you for being patient and working in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a great day in the Lord.